We're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is God's word. It's true and it's given out of his love. You may be seated. Amen. Thanks, Stacy. Uh, well, it's great to be back worshiping with you all. I, I missed being here last week. Our family missed being here last week, but uh, I got a chance to listen to Andy's sermon, and that was a phenomenal Advent sermon. I was thinking about being sick again this just week just to see what he could do on a follow-up week. We gave him another chance, but I'm really glad to be back here uh, worshiping with us. And so Advent is such a, a special time of year for us as we prepare our hearts for the coming of Christ, as we remember the coming of Christ, that first Advent 2,000 years ago when he was born, a baby like we just sang. But also this is that time of year where we look forward to the second coming of Christ. The second advent, when he will return again and make all things new and put an end to, to suffering, evil, sin, and death, all those things. And so, so with this, this is a really important time for us to, to really uh, try to lean into the rhythms that God has for us here as a church. But it's also a chance for us to look outside our walls and to be intentional about how we go on mission, how we love people who don't know Jesus with gospel intentionality. And so with that opportunity they announced last week, it's the Operation Woodman Hills Elementary School Child, which is a huge mouthful. Uh, we are definitely ripping off, plagiarizing from Operation Christmas Child, which is a great ministry that uh, Samaritan's Purse does. But the reason we wanted to do that this here instead of uh, overseas with uh, Samaritan's Purse is we, we think that this opportunity with us here in the local school has given us a great chance to love some families in need that are here uh, in, in the school that we are meeting in that are such gracious hosts for us. And so uh, if, you, if you weren't here last week, uh, the, the plan is last week we handed out 51 uh, uh, school bo- or shoe boxes that are going to be filled with gifts for a particular boy or girl of a certain age that you should have been assigned if you took a shoe box home with you. And so the goal is to fill those with toys and stocking stuffers and to bring them back by next week. Next week is the week we're handing them out so that the deadline is, is right up there on us. Uh, and then and on addition to the shoe box full of stocking stuffers, we're going to place a $100 gift card inside each of the shoe boxes as a way to bless the family that is uh, receiving the shoebox as a, as a sign of our uh, love for them and as a chance to uh, help them cover some of the Christmas expenses. And the reason we want to do the gift card is because it's a, it's a way to, to protect the, the dignity of the person who is receiving the gift, that they can still do their Christmas shopping themselves instead of us buying gifts. It, it kind of, that makes it feel like a, a handout or something that they can kind of rob people of their honor. And so we want to uh, uh, honor these people by just giving them a gift card so that they can help uh, meet those, those Christmas expenses. And so uh, we've done this last year and we handed out a number of boxes last year was a a phenomenal uh, chance for us to love the people here in the school and so this year we we had the second chance to do this and I want to encourage us to do that again if you if you took a box make sure you fill it and bring it back next week if you didn't take a box um, or even if you did the other way that we have to do the ministry that we need to do is we need to raise some money in order to put those hundred dollar gift cards in so there should be a QR code on the uh, bulletin that you got and when you came in you can drop a gift back in the offering box back there you can give online Uh, if you give online there's a note to give to Operation Woodman Hills Elementary School child, that operation uh, that, that we're working on here. But as you, th- as you pray about what God is calling you to do there, uh, the counselor that we're working with here at the school shared a few stories of the, the types of families that will be receiving these gifts. And I'm going to leave it anonymous, to, again, not to, to bring shame to anyone or anything, but just to show us the type of, of blessing that we can be to the families here at the school. Uh, one family uh, is, a, is a single father who has five children uh, from seven months old, or five months old to seven years old. Uh, they're new to the school, and the, the counselor thought it would be a great chance to bless them. Uh, another family is a, is a single mom who the mom sells uh, cookies and desserts to try to help 
pay for her children's needs with the extracurricular activities they have. Uh, and so this is a chance to, to bless that family. As another single mom of, of two children, one of the ch children has uh, special needs. And so this is a chance to bless her, the single mom, as she uh, goes through the Christmas season. So there's, there's a number of stories I could read, but this, these, these, these stories are not just uh, names on a page. They're, they're faces and their families and their children that have, we have the opportunity to bless this year. And so if Christmas is the season where we remember all that Jesus did for us, all that he gave for us, then how can we not be generous and give to those people who uh, would, would be blessed by um, our generosity this year? So if you haven't uh, yet given online or if you, have, um, if you took a shoe box, make sure you bring those back next week. So, so there, um, that's, again, that's, not, that's not an announcement. That's a, a ministry opportunity. We want to make sure we lean into that. What we're going to do this morning is the same thing we did two weeks ago and what we would have done last week had I not been sick. Uh, we're going to just spend the next 30 minutes meditating and slowly uh, uh, processing this beautiful passage of Scripture of Matthew 11, 28 through 30. And so normally we take a, a number of verses. Uh, when we're, we've been in Acts, we've been going through like, like 30 or 40 verses at a time. Uh, we're going to go down, wait, we're just going to cover one half of one verse this morning. So this is going to feel, to some of us, painfully slow to not go uh, very fast through a passage. But that's intentional because everything in our culture at this time of year pushes us to go faster, faster, faster. Like, I mean, your to-do list gets longer every day that Christmas gets closer, right? There's more things to do. There's more shopping to be done. There's more baking to be done. There's more projects to complete. There's all this pressure that we feel. And if, if we don't be, uh, engage our faith intentionally, if we are passive in any of this, we will get swept up in the cultural climate and we'll find that we have gone through the entire Christmas season and our hearts are more aligned with the world than they are with Jesus, Okay, Christmas is this weird thing for Americans where it's the most religious but the least Christian holiday that we have, which is bizarre to say that Christmas is the least Christian holiday we have when Jesus' name is in the, the title of the holiday, for crying out loud. But if you think about it, as you go through December, does your heart more naturally align with the world or does it more naturally reflect the character of Christ? And so since that's what comes at us, bombards us 24-7 throughout the week, we need to take our time together. This time Sunday morning is where we can do particular battle against the enemy and against the, the forces of the world that would lead us and lead our hearts away from Jesus and what he has for us. So one of the ways that we do battle against a culture that pushes us to go faster and be more, be more materialistic and more consumeristic, we do battle by slowing down, by pausing, and by resting. Okay, by, by evaluating the burdens that we have and recognizing that only at the feet of Jesus will we find those uh, answers to the problems that we have. So as you evaluate your heart as you came in this morning, are you feeling tired? Are you feeling worn out? Are you feeling burdened? Are you feeling heavy laden? Brandon did a great job with the call to worship of, of drawing our focus to that. And I think if we're honest, we all feel that this week. Okay, something has happened in our lives this week to remind us that the world is not as it should be and that we're going in a direction, our heart is being pulled in a direction that's not good for us. So this morning we want to slow down and we want to meditate on these words of Jesus that come from Matthew 11. It's going to, feel, like I said, feel a very different service than what we're normally used to. But, but I want us to pause slowly and, so, and ponder and just drink deeply of these beautiful words. You know, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Okay, that invitation from Jesus is what we're going to spend our morning on, and I think, it's, I think it's the best thing that we can do for our hearts these next uh, 30 minutes or so. So let me say a word of prayer, and then we'll study God's word together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your presence here with us. I thank you for the fact that um, as we come to your word, as we hear this invitation from your son uh, issued 2,000 years ago, uh, Lord, that th these words are, are as, as important as ever. 
Uh, the, the most important thing we can do this Christmas season, God, is, is focus on your son and the beauty of the incarnation where he came to rescue us from our sin. God, we confess that we are sinners in need of your grace, that our, our sin and our, our pride and our hard-heartedness is what makes us hard to hear your invitation. So I pray that our hearts would be softened by the power of your Holy Spirit, that we would hear your invitation with fresh ears, that you would remind us of your love and that we would all leave here changed by your grace. And it's in your name we pray, amen. Amen. So Matthew eleven twenty eight. if you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles on the table in front of you. There should also be the passage on the screen. But I would, I would encourage you to get your Bible out and open it because I think like really focusing in on the tangibility of these words is going to be really important for us this morning. So, so like I said, uh, last week or two weeks ago is where we started this passage. And what we did that week was we just focused on that first half of the first verse that where Jesus issues this invitation that says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. And so the first part there that we need to listen to is this invitation from Jesus where he says, come to me. And if you didn't grow up in the church, if you're not familiar with Jesus, this idea that Jesus is inviting you near to him is an important concept. Okay, he's the only God in all the history of world religions who loved his people enough to come to them instead of demanding that they come to him on his own terms instead. He came to us out of his love for us. But the question for us, if we are Christians, if you've been following Jesus for a while, is when you hear that invitation, come to me, all who labor and heavy laden, how do you perceive Jesus issuing that invitation to you? Okay, the question we've used a lot of times here at church, we used a few weeks ago, is what is the look on Jesus' face when he tells you to come to him? Because a lot of us, we believe that Jesus wants us near, but we're not sure that when he wants us near, that he's actually for us or that he actually has any love or affection for us. So that image of what's on Jesus' face is an important way to discern how we view God and what we believe to be true about the gospel. So when you hear Jesus say, come to me, is he some disappointed parent that's like, what now? Get over here, what now? What's going on? Okay, when you, when you hear Jesus say, come to me, do you view him like an angry coach that's saying, get your butt over here right now. I, I need to talk to you. I need to, I need to chew you out for what you've done wrong. Uh, do you view Jesus as like that disinterested bank teller or TSA agent that sits back there and says, keep your f distance and then I'll tell you when you can come here because I have to do, go through this line, this assembly line of dealing with people? Or when you hear Jesus say, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest, do you see him with his arms extended, with a smile on his face, with love beaming from his eyes as the person in the universe who is more for you and more in love with you than anyone else that has ever lived or ever will live. Okay, if we view Jesus in that light, that will change entirely how we respond to this invitation to come to him. And the, and the people that come to Jesus are the ones that he says, he says, I mean, all are invited to Jesus, but the ones who hear his voice most clearly are those who are heavy laden and are laboring who, are, who are, are tired and worn out. They feel the burdens of their life crushing them into the ground. And it's in that place of, of burden and despair that Jesus' voice sounds most clearly to us because we understand our need for him. So a lot of times when we try to pretend that we're strong, we pretend that we don't have a need for Jesus, that's when his voice seems most distant because we think we got this on our own. But again, this is such an important time of year to focus on our reality and focus on our souls and say, do you actually think you can do life on your own? Like, w what was this last week actually like for you? What were the burdens that surfaced in your heart this last week? What were the things that when you think about them right now, when you call them to mind, make your shoulders slump just a little bit because you're feeling the weight and the burden of what you know you need to do? Okay, and I think if you dive into what that thing is, that, that, that problem in your life that makes your shoulders slump, that will reveal to you what it is that you've been actually going to and looking to for salvation. 
So some of us, it might be a, a work project, right? Like you feel like there's this, there's this burden on your back. If I don't get this done, I'm going to be, uh, it's, my work is not going to go well. Others of us, it's, it's, it's our, our kids' lives. We're worried about our children and how they're going to turn out and how things are going for them. Some of us, it's, it's uh, relationships that feel strained and we're worried of whether or not we're going to actually have the, the relational intimacy that we long for. But whatever that thing is that makes your shoulders slump, what we want to always do is go a level deeper than what's on the surface. Because it's not just that you have a work project that's making you feel burdened, it's that you have made an idol out of your work and you are consumed by this need to succeed to prove that your life counts for something. Okay, it's not just that you're worried about the to-do list with Christmas shopping and those things, it's that you have this image to maintain of being the perfect parent who presents the perfect Christmas to your kids. And a lot of times it's not just, you know, that, that you have this desire to uh, accomplish something. It's that you have an idol, a false god that you've created that is, is condemning you and is driving you into the dirt because you're coming to that false god instead of coming to Jesus. Okay, w- when we feel those burdens, we need to hear the invitation of Jesus that says, come to me when you labor and you're heavy laden. Okay, so that, that, that was two weeks ago. That's how, how we, we got to this place. Uh, but what I want to do now this morning is say, if you have come to that realization, if you have determined that your life is not working on your own and that the burdens and the labors that you are experiencing is because you are coming to something else besides Jesus, what happens when we heed Jesus' invitation when we actually come to him? If you believe that he loves you more than anyone else in the world and that you, you respond to his gracious call to invite you to himself, what's the promise that happens when we get there? That's what we want to look at this morning. So we're going we're we're to slow down even more. Last week we did 10 words. We're only going to do six words this morning. Uh, and what we're going to do as we go through it is we're going to look at each word individually and we're going to see what highlights uh, in this text show us of what Jesus offers for us. Okay, when we recognize our labors and our heavy-laden burdens, what is it that Jesus promises to give us instead? And it's this glorious invitation, and I will give you rest. And I will give you rest. Those are just six short words, six beautiful words, but in them I think it shows a beautiful picture of the promise of what ha- that rest that we can find when we come to Jesus. So, so the first thing I want to do is I want to look at each word at a time. And there, there's a great book by Donald Whitney called Spiritual Disciplines. Uh, I think it's the title, Spiritual Disciplines. But when it, he, he lists a lot of different ways that we can meditate on Scripture. And so what we're trying to do over this, this Advent season is meditate on these three verses. And one of the most helpful ways to meditate on Scripture that he lists in this book is this idea of, of emphasizing a different word and then going back and reading it again and emphasizing the next word. And it's amazing how if you highlight each individual word, you see that God's word is inspired and true and inerrant and given for us out of his love, that really each word points us to a beautiful part of who Jesus is for us. So we're going to start with this first word here. Jesus says, come to me all who labor and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Okay, this word is important because it means Jesus has some conditions that he is putting out there in order for us to receive the rest that he offers. Okay, as the one that is in charge, he says in order to experience the rest that he's giving us, we have to first take the initiative to come to him when he invites us. Okay, this is a conditional invitation. And the reason this is important is because we are, are so steeped in the free market culture that we have where the customer is always right. If you have money, it means you have buying power and you can shop for the best deal and you can find the thing that best meets your needs. And so often that's the same way that we approach God. We want to approach him on our terms instead of approaching him on the terms that he has listed for us in his word. If we're going to experience the rest that he offers, we have to first come to him. That's the first clause we we went over last week. Come to me, all who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We have to first come to God. 
Okay, God as the sovereign is the one that gets to set the ground rules under which we will experience the rest that he offers. Okay, the, the same is true. Uh, a professor gets to set the prerequisites for the course. Okay, the doctor is the one who prescribes the medicine. The bank is the one that sets the terms of the loan. If, if we are in need of what God has for us, we don't approach him on our terms making demands. We approach him on his terms listening to what he has shown us in his word. But that's why the second word of this passage is so important also. He says, and I will give you rest. Okay, wh why does Jesus put conditions on receiving the rest that he offers? It's because he doesn't want this to be a blind transaction, but instead he wants it to be an intimate relationship. He, the promise is that when we come to him, he will be the one to give us rest. The reason the invitation is conditional is Jesus desires a relationship with us, not a transaction with us. Okay, Jesus doesn't want to give us things without giving us himself first. The relationship and the intimacy that we can have with Jesus coming to him at his side is the thing that Jesus is, cares about more than what he gives to us. Okay, we, we don't submit an online order to God asking for rest and then he ships it off and mails it to us. Instead, what happens when we offer, when we receive the rest that Jesus has, it's, it, we, we climb up in his lap like a little kid and we fall asleep in his arms. Okay, that's why this is so important that we come on Jesus' terms because he wants the relationship with us. He doesn't want to just give us something that we think will make our life better. Okay, so a scenario to imagine is imagine that a, a spouse uh, f uh, is making their spouse's favorite meal that they have. Okay, and so they, they, put, they put hours into preparing. They put hours into shopping, getting all the right ingredients. They set the mood right at their at house. Their house they, they, put, they hide all the phones. They turn off the technology. They clear their schedule. They get the meal prepared. They set the table so that they can enjoy this intimate conversation with their spouse. And then imagine that it's, it's the husband in the other room that says, hey, actually, the game's on. Can you just bring it to me here in my lazy boy instead? Okay, it, it wouldn't be um, the... It's, it's not arrogant of the wife to say, I'm not going to bring you your meal. It, it's affection of the wife that would lead her to say, that's not what I'm going to do. Because I'm not trying to just give you a meal without giving you myself. The goal is the relationship, the conversation, the intimacy that could happen at the table. And the same is true with God. Okay, w when we want the rest that God provides without the intimacy of relationship in Jesus' lap, we are turning him into a transactional deity. We've turned him into a vending machine, okay, where we want to put a few coins in, punch in the code, and then get out what we want, okay? And, and that's why I think when our life doesn't go as well as we want it to, why our first reaction is always to get mad at God because we view him as that vending machine. And if you put your, your money in the machine and you hit the code and it doesn't spit out what you paid for, you have the right to be upset. You kick the machine. You say something's broken. But if God's not a vending machine, if God is the, the loving creator who desires you to be near him, then you have no right to be upset when he doesn't give you what he wants or what you want him to give you because he's already given you himself. And that is the most important thing. Okay, I mean, C.S. Lewis says it way better than I can. He says, he who has God and everything else has no more than he who has God only. Okay, he who has God and everything else has no more than he who has God only. And so that means this Christmas, as you're evaluating your life, the burdens that you have, if you can come to Jesus and get intimacy and relationship and closeness and love and affection and approval from Jesus, then you have everything you need already. It doesn't matter what else seems to be going wrong in your life. You have Jesus, and that is the most important thing. Okay, St. Augustine says, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. 
Okay, our, the reason that we are, are burdened and heavy laden is because we haven't been going to the rest that Jesus provides, the intimacy that he offers. That's the, next, the beautiful part about this next word is this offer of rest from Jesus is not a hypothetical situation. It's a promise from him. He says, and I will give you rest. And I will give you rest. Promises from Jesus are a guarantee that they will happen. He doesn't say, if you come to me, there's a 50-50 chance that you'll find some rest. If you come to me, there's a high likelihood that you'll find rest. A, if you come to me, there's a chance or the potential of finding rest. He says, if you come to me, you will find rest. I will give you rest. Jesus being God is not able to lie. What he says he will do, he promises, his promises will always be fulfilled. Numbers 23, 19 says, God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and he will not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? If Jesus speaks to us and says, if you come to me, I will give you the rest your heart's longing for, that promise is a guarantee that we can take to the bank. Okay, uh, opposite of the promises, the empty promises that our culture makes, right? The, the whole, uh, the buyer's remorse that happens when you buy the thing you see the commercial of and then it doesn't give you the satisfaction you're longing for, right? Or the, the early January blues when you get your credit card bill and you're like, man, I would have thought we had a little bit more happiness for all the money we spent on Christmas presents this year. The kids would be a little more excited instead of what they are right now. Okay, but the empty promises of our advertisers only highlight the truthfulness and the trustworthiness of Jesus. When you come to him, he will give us the rest that we're longing for. The other thing also that I love about this word is he says, come to me and I will give you rest. It's, it has two aspects to it. One is a, a forward-looking hope where we know that at the end of time when, we, when, we, when Jesus returns or when we pass away and we go to be with Jesus, that we will enter this eternal rest that he offers us. But the thing I think we, need to, we often overlook in this passage is Jesus is continually inviting us into that rest that he offers in the here and now. It's not like our life is going to be miserable and heavy and heavy laden until we die and then all of a sudden we'll, we'll step into rest once and for all. It's that while we are living, as we come near to him in the midst of our burdens and struggles, that's when we can also experience the rest that he offers us. I think uh, Psalm 118 is, a, is a, my favorite psalm in the, the Old Testament and it, it, it highlights this concept. It says in verses 6 and 7, the psalmist says, The Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. And that the word will and shall is what I'm trying to emphasize here. That there's this ongoing present reality where it says, I don't need to worry about anything because God is with me. But there's also a future reality of this promise that says there will come a day when I will no longer have to look on the problems of this world and wonder how it's going to turn out because Jesus will have returned and made all things new. So for us in the middle of this season, in the middle of our struggles, we have this invitation. This, it's not, a, it's not a, an option from Jesus. It's a promise from Jesus that if you come to him, you will find the rest that your heart longs for. It's not an and, if, or but. It is a guarantee from him. And when we come to him, this promise that he makes us doesn't have a price tag on it. He says, come to me, all who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He doesn't say, I will have a transaction for rest, or I will charge you for rest. It is only out of the overflow of his generosity and his loving and merciful character that he promises to give us this rest. It's the, the definition of grace. Okay, grace is this undeserved favor, this undeserved uh, honor and love from God that we don't deserve because of our own actions. It, it's, it's unexpected. Okay, and as Americans, we do so poorly with the concept of grace because we're in, again, this free market concept that says, if I work hard, I will be rewarded. If I'm lazy, I will be punished. 
And so we take that same mentality to Jesus and we think that we have to somehow work hard to earn his love. And if we don't work hard enough, we'll be deserving of his wrath instead of his love. And what Jesus is saying here is when you come to him, when you come to him in faith, you receive the grace that he offers you. You don't have to do anything to earn it. Okay, grace makes us uncomfortable because it shows that we are the weaker party in the transaction, that, w- that we didn't do anything to deserve it. It's like when you, you get an unexpected Christmas gift from someone that you weren't expecting to give it to you, and your first thought is, well, crap, now I've got to get them something. Like, if, I don't, if I don't even the scale here, then all of a sudden I'm going to be in their debt. And we approach God in that same way. And as soon as you do, it turns this into this, this transactional relationship instead of this intimacy that he's offering us, this grace of you don't have to do anything to earn his love. It's only from his nature that he is gracious and loving and extends it to you. And, and the beauty of this is that is just who God is at his core. The identity of our God is he is a generous God. He is always giving. He cannot be anything other than generous. It's who he is. Or you look at the Garden of Eden. He gave life and breath to Adam and Eve. Okay, after they sinned, he gave clothes to cover their nakedness from animal skins. When, when Abraham was a, was a pagan worshiping other gods, God gave him a promise to make a people, and he gave him a child to fulfill that promise, even though he was 100 and his wife was 90. Okay, God gave those people, his descendants of Abraham who went into slavery, he gave them freedom from Egypt through the Exodus. When, when they were wondering how they should worship God, he gave them the revelation of the law from Mount Sinai. When they struggled to obey that law and they went into uh, oppression from the Philistines and other people, God gave them deliverers, judges to bring them to freedom. When, when they were uh, a wandering people without a leader, he gave them a king in David and a covenant that promised that the Messiah would come through the descendants of David. When Israel struggled to follow the law again, he gave them prophets to bring them back to the truth. When, when women were barren, he gave them children. When the nation was starving he gave them food and so it makes it seem like the most expected thing in the world is that he would give us a savior it's not out of the ordinary at all it should not shock us that god would give us salvation by grace because he has always been giving his people salvation by grace he can't be anything other than gracious because that is who he is at his core okay there's this beautiful passage from isaiah 55 where he says come everyone who thirsts come to the waters and he who has no money come buy and eat Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. I love that passage. You have no money, perfect. That's the perfect amount of money to go shopping for Jesus' grace because that's all that it requires. There's, there's no price tag attached to it. And that's why Christmas is so significant. Isaiah 9, 6 says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Okay, God in his infinite mercy and generosity cannot help but be generous towards us in giving. Okay, there is no limit on his grace. There is no limit on his mercy. There will never be a supply chain issue when it comes to God's grace. It's not like it's all uh, in, uh, some connects off the coast of California waiting to enter customs. Like God's grace is there for us no matter what. And a lot of times I think the reason we fail to believe that God's grace is there is because we think that that's true when you come to Jesus that first time. Maybe when Jesus is just getting to know me, his face will be loving. But what about after I've come to Jesus and then I mess up? What happens when I sin after I've already been a Christian? Surely that's when Jesus must get disappointed with me and the look on his face must change. And I think, I think the reason we, f- we feel that is, again, we have this natural tendency towards legalism where we think if we work hard, God will love us more. And that's one of the reasons I think it's dangerous when uh, parents, not that it's my business to help you parent your kids, but I'm going to do that anyway. Uh, when parents try to explain Jesus and God in light of Santa Claus, like they use Santa Claus as an illustration for Jesus, 
And the reason I think that's unhelpful is for a lot of reasons, but one of them is the way, who, who gets toys from Santa? It's the good little boys and girls, right? And if you're not a good little boy and girl, you're not going to get a present from Santa. And we approach God with that same idea that says, God is for me when I am good, but when I struggle or when I sin, then God must be against me. I'm sure his face is full of disappointment in me. But again, but if God is generous and his generosity is infinite, then there's no limit on his grace for us. Okay, that, that book, um, uh, Gentle and Lowly, that's on your tables, I, I really hope we're taking the time to read and meditate through that slowly. If you didn't take a copy yet, there should be some, uh, some copies on your table for you to do. But, uh, the author, Dane Ortland, in one of the chapters, he talks about Ephesians 2.4, where it says God is rich in mercy. And because he's rich in mercy, we can be confident when we come to him. Listen to this beautiful quote. It says, God is not poor in mercy. He is rich in mercy. He is a billionaire in the currency of mercy. And the withdrawals we make as we sin our way through life cause his fortune to grow greater, not less. How can that be? Because mercy is who he is. If mercy was something he simply had while his deepest nature was something different, there would be a limit on how much mercy he could dole out. But if he is essentially merciful, then for him to pour out mercy is for him to act in accord with who he is. It is simply for him to be God. When God shows mercy, he is acting in a way that is true to himself. Okay, we can never out the grace of God, which means we can never change that look on his face. He is infinitely for us and loves us as he calls us to come to him and find the rest that we need. And he says, and I will give you rest is the next word we want to talk about. And I think this is the most important word in this whole passage as we're, as we're talking about what it means to come to Jesus this Christmas season and to find the rest that we're looking for. Do we believe that this invitation applies to us? When Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest, do you believe that your name belongs in that blank? Do you believe Jesus is looking at you and saying, it is my love for you specifically is why I came to die on the cross for your sins. It's why I came to be born in a manger and live that perfect life that you can never live. Uh, my friend Kyle, he, he likes to say that the, uh, everyone's favorite word to hear is their own name. And I think it's such a beautiful concept because there's something special when you hear someone else say your name that you kind of, we're all a little bit egotistical, right? We all kind of perk up a little bit when they say our name because we're like, oh, this is going to be important to me. But do you believe that Jesus would have your name on his lips? That he would say to you specifically, come to me? Um, this last week when uh, my, my grandma went into hospice and then passed away, and we, I got so many wonderful, encouraging texts and prayers and emails from people. But the ones that stand out to me the most are the ones that said, Tell your dad we're praying for Fran. We're, uh, tell Ken we're praying for them. And that, that's my, my grandpa and my grandma. And there's something about those texts that stand out the most because it reminds you that it's not just some hypothetical person in need of prayer. It's, yeah, it's, it's Fran. Like she's, she was my grandma, and, and she loved Jesus, and she's with him now. And when someone says they're praying for Ken, it's not just some, some hypothetical person who lost his spouse of 64 years. It's, it's an actual person that Jesus loves and died for. And again, so I think that's why it's so important when we pray for each other to pray, use people's names in their prayer. But also when you go to Jesus in prayer, hear him inviting you specifically. Can, can get, picture what is the look on Jesus' face when he tells you to come and how does he speak to you and does he speak to you specifically? Does he say, hey, hey, hey come to me, Colbert. Colbert, you, you look really tired and weary and I, I need to give you some rest. You, you look exhausted. Like, put your name in that blank. And Jesus is speaking to you specifically, saying, come to me, because I want to give you specifically rest. 
And when, when our kids were younger, they could not fall asleep if Kelly didn't uh, sit on their bedside and sing Jesus Loves Me as she ran her fingers through their hair as they were falling asleep. And the, the part of that song that ends is, yes, Jesus loves me, yes, Jesus loves me. And she would always replace it with the kids' names. So she'd say, yes, Jesus loves Anderson, yes, Jesus loves Jackson, and use all the kids' names. And I think that's just, that's that mindset we have to have when we come to Jesus, is yes, Jesus loves me. Okay, I think the, uh, one of the, the greatest theological minds of the 20th century is a guy named Karl Barth. Uh, we, I wouldn't agree with everything he said, but he was clearly a genius. He spent his whole life studying the Bible and theology. He uh, was a, a, a brilliant giant among men of, of, of intellectual giants. And when he got to the end of his life, he was doing a book tour in America, and a reporter asked him, after all your lifetime of study, what is the most important truth you learned from your life of study? And he said, I think it could be summed up as... Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And if, if that truth works for a two-year-old falling asleep or for an 80-year-old after a lifetime of study, I think that truth works for us as well. Because that's how we get, that's, that's the path that we, leads us to this last word of this morning. And I will give you rest. Jesus is offering us that rest. It's, it's, it's refreshment. It's a ceasing from toil. It's setting down our burdens and our heavy load and coming to him. It, it's, not, it's not relaxation. It's not vegging out. It's not Netflix binging. It's coming to him and at a soul level experiencing what your heart was created for, which is closeness and intimacy with Jesus because he loves you. I think one of the things that we haven't done a good job of highlighting so far in this passage is, is in the context when Jesus is talking about burdens and labors, he's not talking about our emotions and the feelings we get when someone doesn't like our Facebook post. He's, he's not talking about the pressure you feel to put on a good Christmas party for your kids. That's the, what he's talking about in the context is the Pharisees and the way that they had created this religious climate that said, if you want to come to God, here's the checklist of 800 things you have to do before you can be confident that he's going to accept you. And it's to that religious environment where there's this idea that God is upset at you and he will only be satisfied if you perform for him. That's the environment that Jesus stepped into and said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He was fighting against that legalism. And the reason that's important is because, in a certain sense, the Pharisees we're closer to the truth than we are a lot of times, which is really offensive to say, right? We all, we all know the Pharisees are the bad guys. How could they be closer than us? And the reason is because they understood that God in his holiness and his justice could not have evil and sin in his sight. And so that evil and the sin, the things that we have done, the rebellion that we have engaged against God, that sin has to be atoned for. And we have replaced that idea of God's wrath with this idea of approval and success and things in our own life that, that are a substitute God, substitute deities. And the reason I think we fail to recognize the idea that God is justified in being angry at our sin is because we have so downplayed the holiness of God. Okay, another thing that Kelly and I are talking about this week is, is we, uh, uh, in, the, in the first century, they would have seen the blood of sacrifices in the temple on a weekly basis. Okay, they, they, they would know what it's like to see a, a, a bull or a ram's throat get slit and get to bleed out as the blood atoning for the sin and the people made, right? And because we're not, you know, loading up sh uh, sheep and oxen to go to the temple every week, we forget that our sin does actually have a punishment that needs to be paid for. I mean, like, we, we can't even get the kids here on time. Can you imagine if you had to load up all the sheep and the oxen before you came to church in the morning? <laughs> but with that, um, even though we, we haven't appreciated God's holiness enough, that weight and the heavy laden burdens that we have, the things that make our shoulders slump, show us that we're still legalists at heart. 
we still have this heart that says, if I do something, I will be accepted. And if I fail to do it, I will be rejected. If I, if I don't diet, I will be overweight. If I work hard, I won't be poor. Uh, if, if I'm a nice person, then I won't be rejected. If, I, if I'm a mean person, I will face a lack of approval. We have this, this exchange ratio. And again, the thing that makes Christianity so different, and the reason the invitation from Jesus is so different, is because um, it is true that we deserve the wrath of God. Okay, our, our sin, the fact that we were, were born in sin, the fact that we live our lives for ourselves, ignoring God and his sovereignty, means we do deserve the punishment of hell. But the thing that makes Christianity different, makes Christmas different, is this is the only religion where the God himself has come to save us from our sins. He says, you can never carry this load on your own. That's why I came to carry it for you. You don't have to labor and toil and be heavy laden because I can take those burdens from you when I die for your sins on the cross in your place. Okay, the, the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of the rest that Jesus offers us is not that we get to take a break from our burdens. It's that it invites us into a whole new way of living, a whole new reality where closeness with Jesus is the thing that defines all of our existence. And so that, that's why we're trying to spend these weeks meditating on this concept and hearing the invitation of Jesus to come to him. And so if, if you are heavy laden this morning, if you are burdened, if you're tired, if you're weary, uh, which is another way of saying if you are an American alive in 2021, the invitation of Jesus is for you specifically. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Let's pray. God, thank you for this passage that we can focus on and just look at each of the different words and concepts and know that, uh, that you loved us enough to give us this invitation that when, when you think of us, when you invite us near to your side, if we could see the look on your face, it would be one of delight and joy and love and affection. Lord, you already took the penalty that we deserved on the cross, and so there's no, there's no payment left to be made. Instead, we can just receive this gift, this promised gift of rest, where we can lay aside our burdens and come to you knowing that we will find the, the affection and the approval that our hearts are longing for. And so it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, well, we're going to do some discussion at our tables now like we do every week. If this is your, your first week here, the reason we sit around tables is so uh, after studying a passage, we can process together what it is that God's showing us. And, and like I said, this, this Advent season, it's a little bit different because there's not a lot of text to draw from. So we're going to really focus in on some of these things. And, and if you are new here, I want you to know that anything you share at the table, this is a safe place. That, that's not just hyperbole, but everything that you say, you will experience love and acceptance at your table um, because of what Jesus has done for us. So you can, you can be, share as much or as little as you would like. The first question is what feels difficult and burdensome in your life right now? What's the thing that makes you labor and feel heavy laden? And how does rest sound? If you picture that burden, the thing that makes your shoulders slip, slump, and how does rest sound? And what does rest from that burden look like at a soul level? And if rest is not just vegging out, watching Netflix, what would rest from that specific burden look like? And then secondly, how is Jesus' offer of rest different from vegging out? And what practical ways have you found to help you rest? Okay, so I think if we don't talk about our phones and technology and the barriers that they are to our souls resting, then we, we probably should hit that at our tables here in the next few minutes. So we're going to do this for like uh, eight to ten minutes, and then we'll end with a time of uh, meditation on this passage and then a time of worship. Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you for just humbling yourself, becoming gentle and lowly, just descending from heaven to be with us, 
to be a friend to us, to love us the most purely way that is possible, Father. We thank you for creating us a way to come to you, to know you, to cast our burdens and our heavy ladens upon you, and be able to see your face and your glory shining, Father. We love you and we thank you for this. In your glory we pray. Amen. So from the book on your table, um, it's going to be page, or chapter 6, um, there's a little bit of reading I'm going to do from page 63, but the main verse of this is John 6, 37. It says, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. So the bottom of page 63 is a conversation between you and Jesus. No, wait, we say, cautiously approaching Jesus. You don't understand. I've really messed up in all kinds of ways. I know, he responds. You know most of it, sure, certainly more than what others see, but there's perversity down inside me that is hidden from everyone. I know it all. Well, the thing is, it isn't just my past. It's my present, too. I understand, but I don't know if I can break free from this anytime soon. That is the only kind of person I'm here to help. The burden is heavy and heavier all the time. Then let me carry it. It's just, it's too much to bear. Not for me. You get it? My offenses aren't directed towards others. They're against you. Then I am the one most suited to forgive them. But the more of the ugliness in me you discover, the sooner you will get fed up with me. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. In light of those verses with um, Matthew 11, as you go to take communion today, we offer open communion here at Missio Day. So if you've accepted Christ into your heart, we want you to come up and take the elements during the next couple of songs. And if you haven't yet accepted Christ into your heart, um, I'd, I'd ask you to join me in the back and um, have a great discussion. We can talk and work through that. Um, but what I want you to do is insert yourself into that verse and have confidence that when you go to Christ, you can't be cast out. He loves you to the uttermost, and if you tried to explain all of your offenses to Christ, you would fall short because you are human, and you can't remember the number of decades that you've been on this earth and every offense that you've committed against Christ. But he knows them all, and yet still loves you and invites you to come to him. So as you go to the table, please grab the elements and have confidence that he's there willing and ready to accept you into his humble arms and you can find rest. Any work that you try and do, use it as a tool to pin aside the veil that hides the face of Jesus Christ and find rest in his arms and looking to his glory. Let us worship him. <laughs>